like I said, my passion before I ever got here was helping sales reps to improve their lives. And I can tell you as someone who's interviewed probably over a million sales reps, the average will talk about themselves being good. The, yeah. el- the elite, they don't have to talk about themselves being good because other people talk about them being good. Sales, marketing, automotive. Jason Harris has done it all. This is the After Hours with Jason podcast. After Hours with Jason podcast is sponsored by DDS Beer Club. Beer specifically crafted for hardworking sales professionals. Find out more at ddsbeerclub.ca. All right. Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It's Jason Harris here with Digital Dealership Solutions. Hey, thanks for joining me on another episode of After Hours with Jay. Tonight, I am greeted by my guest, Dan Liska. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time and coming out to see me. I know you had a decent drive, so I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Jason. Now, uh, Dan, for the people out there that don't know who you are, why don't you give us the origin story that is Dan Liska? <laughs> sure. Well, uh, so as it stands right now, I'm uh, director of sales with a company called Mobiles. We focus on uh, just helping dealers go digital, really. But you know, before I ever worked at Mobiles, my, my passion was pretty simple. It's helping salespeople to improve their lives. You know, I, I wouldn't consider myself a automotive guru per se, but my backgrounds are very strong in digital marketing and sales training. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been really, really passionate about helping salespeople to improve their life just because anytime anything rolls downhill, it's always the salespeople that get it first. Uh, you know, we're not at targets, must be sales. Sure. Cancellation problems, must be sales. Uh, product isn't in line with uh, what the customers need. Definitely lack of sales feedback. 100%. You know? So, uh, so yeah, that, that's that's the passion that's really been near and dear to, to my heart is just helping people improve their lives through solving problems for other people. You know, because the, the biggest objection that all uh, salespeople are working against is that subconscious objection that we'll say anything to get your money when really we're just out here trying to, you know, solve problems and, and uh, put a smile on some faces. We're just trying to do our part at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly, right? If, if, if we're not of value to anyone, hey, let's part ways as friends, but uh, here's what we can do for you kind of awesome. thing. Awesome. So, Thanks, yeah. Dan. Um, okay, cool. Let's get then straight into our first topic. We want to talk about the marriage, because your background is operations and marketing, so let's talk about the marriage of these two and how that really needs to evolve out in the dealership and where you think it actually sits right now. So when you think of these two different departments, what do you typically see out there when it comes to the dealerships? Well, I I see a bunch of, uh, let's call it disparate, separated little (laughs) islands that are all trying to do the best job on their own. like stepchildren that don't like each other. Isn't that what it is? Yeah, right? They're like brothers from another mothers, right? (laughs) And and I I can only imagine the relationships that would be cultivated if those stepkids just started talking a little bit, you know? If, if uh, the BDCs were talking to the F&I managers maybe a little bit more, we, we probably have a lot more, um, hey, here's the information I found and here's how you can help this customer as opposed to, you know, well, uh, the customer didn't buy because of your department. No, the customer didn't buy because of your department. So. And a lot of that has to do also the way our processes are written out or really the sheer lack of how our processes <laughs> yeah. are written out. Um, if we're wanting to connect these, you know, these two departments, then we need to have a clear written path or direction on how they're actually going to intersect and actually work together with each other. Now, like you and myself, we've been in a lot of different dealerships. So I'm sure that you do have 
or have met some that actually are executing this well, oh, right? Any of them off the top of your head and maybe how they went about it that might be able to help some of the listeners out there? Well, I, I think really it, it just comes down to you don't want to manage the people. You want to manage the process and let the process manage the people. Mm-hmm. So if you have a team of 10 reps and they're approaching your sale 10 different ways, that's a problem. How do you create a predictable customer experience the second they walk in the dealership or more commonly today, the second that they log on to your digital dealership and start doing all that research before they ever decide what showroom to step in? Sure. And I think even like the quote about the digital dealership really makes sense because it's still, there's still a, even a huge separation between people think of their the physical brick and mortar one and what's going on digitally that everything needs, it's, it's all holistic it's all one but we're treating these things as like you said earlier these islands and they're just kind of out on their own with their own tribe leaders and their own agendas but that's not really the case at all so uh, if you can think back of some of the dealerships that did execute this well what would you say maybe two or three habits or processes that were maybe consistent absolutely Uh, yeah the three off the top of my head would be training training and training (laughs) Um, you know there's a reason that when you look at all the high-end sports leagues they do things like combines for prospects they're not just asking can you do this Mm -hmm. they're putting them through the test they're putting them in mock scenarios and seeing how they're gonna actually respond there they're they're investing in things like coaching they're taking things like role play very seriously so that we can get those mistakes out when it's you know not not costly as opposed to when there's a customer in front of us and you know we're, we're learning by trial and error and that costs a lot of money well I, I think uh, training is a huge part of that um, unfortunately though what I've seen especially in the Canadian landscape is very 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 interesting training and development yeah individuals out there yeah um, I mean how are dealerships I and mean, what should a dealership be looking for in a training program or oh, company it's just i don't think there's enough of them out there that are actually doing it right i agree and it's it's tough like i honestly i empathize with the dealers in canada right now because when they're looking for quality training they need to sift through where's the linkedin personalities that are trying to sell me their book sure and where, where's the meat and potatoes of this training? Where, do, where does the rubber meet the road? Yeah. And specifically, I'm talking about tactics that work in 2019. Yeah, see, yeah, that's the kicker is that I still see a lot of training programs and books and individuals yeah. acting like it was t- like it's 2009. Oh, yeah. And 2009 to 2019 is an, an huge, I mean, huge different landscape, yeah. right? Um, so, so what would you say that someone should be looking for in a trainer or a program today to sell to people in 2019? Well, I, I think first and foremost, it's got to be accessible for the sales reps. Okay. If that trainer is coming from the perspective of this is what management wants us to do, this is what ownership wants us to do, and this is how to do it, that training is going to fall flat on its face before it, it, it even starts. Sure. You need to start with connecting the reason we're doing the training with their motivation for that sales career. Yes. It, the the purpose of us ha- training to have a better response time on these web leads coming in isn't so the owner can get a bigger cottage. No. It's because, you know, if my name's Bob, it's that I wanna work, I wanna be the CEO of Bob Incorporated. 
And, you know, that's the biggest mindset shift that I think needs to happen with sales professionals at Mm -hmm. the dealership level Mm -hmm. is I'm not representing someone else here. I'm representing myself. And whatever your region is, you really got to pitch and hold yourself as I'm the best expert to talk to in this region about your automotive purchase journey. Yes, you want to buy. No, you don't want to buy. No problem whatsoever. My help to you is not dependent on whether or not you want to buy. I'm here to help you move along that purchase journey and be an expert. Because that's what most expert customers... Yeah. It's, I, it's so I hate missing. to say it, but unfortunately, there's a lot of people that call themselves sales professionals and the professional part's not necessarily there. Yeah. It's like, you know, make a commitment to your craft. All right? Um, I swear, if I hear the comment one more time that the customer knows more about the product than I do, I'm going to lose it. Um, Because I'm literally like, well, why? You know, it's like, seriously? I mean, you're the one that literally says professional on your business card, yet you're admitting that they know more about it than than you do. I think the other thing, too, is is going back to the goal, right? I think, unfortunately, too often that a lot of dealerships will get into training and developing their staff. And the goal and objective that's in mind is actually just to increase their uh, gross profit per transaction or their closing ratios and so on, uh, their closing ratios and their test drive ratios, which which are good goals and objectives, but they're not necessarily the goal and objective of the consumer. Yeah. Right? I, I, think, I think what we need to do is we need to be training in a way that is relevant to the consumer's goal and objectives. Um, it's a, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that if we do it for the consumer, we actually always win. Oh, 100%. I mean, there's this guy who knows a little bit about a little bit. His name's Dale Carnegie. Yeah, I know. I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he, he said it best because I'm always talking with dealers and, and they want to take control over the sales process, right? Yeah, they want to dictate where it goes and how it's done. Exactly, but but it's it, that's the thing. It's not the dealer's choice. It's the consumer's choice. And, and I think Dale Carnegie said it best. He, he said, you know what? I love strawberries and cream. It's my favorite food, love sure. it. But fish, for some reason, like worms. I don't get it, but that's their favorite food. So either way, when I go fishing, I'm not baiting my hook with strawberries and cream. I'm using worms. Sure. Wouldn't it be interesting if we all started to sell like that, you know? Yeah. And and I think that's the biggest thing that people need to understand is in 2019, the buyer's in total control. 100%. And it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's okay that they're in control. Yeah. Right? It, it's good. It's actually a much better thing, right? Um, our closing ratios have never been higher than they've ever been before. You yeah. know, for the simple fact that we're just coming in more qualified. All right. We've already done our qualification to which product we're interested in. Our mean greets already happen online, so we're cool. Just don't screw up this process and so we're gonna be good here. Yeah. Well and, and but here's the thing about about that control situation that you're talking about is just it is actually incredibly predictable. Yeah. The same way electricity is incredibly predictable, everything will always take the path of least resistance. 100%. So your consumers right now, I, I guarantee we got a ton of dealership owners listening to this right now thinking, you know, how, but how do I get my ROI on digital? If I put that money out there, what is the path of it actually coming back? And that's where we really need to test and go through what our customers are going through on our website because you can always bank on the fact that if Google is easier to use than the than your website, guess what they're going to use? Google. 100%. But if your website's easier than Google, now we can predictably ensure that someone's using our digital dealership to do that research instead of Google where we have no idea what they're looking at. We have no idea that they exist. No, and that makes a lot of sense from the operations perspective. If you're going to develop out your team, train your team, right? And we're going to loop this back to marketing as well. But if we're going to develop and train out that team, then they need to do with the goal and objective, uh, the consumer's goal and objective in mind, not necessarily their own personal one, which 
I Precise. know is tough for a lot of people out there. They're they're like, well, what are you talking about, Jason? It's my business. This is all about me. Like it's me, 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 me. Like I, yep. I, I want the new boat. I want my new, you know, I want my new chalet. I was like, you know, but every business out there that we've seen historically done it for the customer, they've always ended up winning. Now I think once we've first defined what that goal objective is. Then we can go and start making a decision on which training program and which trainer is going to actually ultimately end up helping us or which tools are going to end up helping us, right? And, and I'll use tools in kind of a loose term because I think that can cover both individuals or programs or books or software or online training, whatever it is. These are all individual tools, yep. right? I, I think too often what we do is, is we go and sign up for a tool and expect that tool to define out what our processes, our, our goals and objective processes are going to be. When in return, we just didn't spend the time to define what our real goal and objective is and then actually go train and then find the tool, the training or the software or so on to actually help us support that. I think if anybody's gonna take any takeaway from that, that's what it is. Just take take the time to find what that what that's going to be, what that goal is going to be for the consumer, right? A hundred percent. And I mean that that's one of the things that, you know, any any sales professional out there will really pride themselves on is we're always prepared to walk away from the table if we don't honestly have the ability to help you. Yeah. There, right? And so I think it's really important that if if you're in a dealership right now and you're buying things because your neighbor's buying them, or you're buying things because you heard, well, it's free. Sure. You know, it, it's never actually free, but, but but the point is, what's the reason why? If you're going into these relationships without a scorecard, without knowing exactly how you're going to measure that, you're buying toys for your dealership. You're not buying tools. No, 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 you're really not. And um, the goal needs to be combined with the appropriate tool. Oh, ab- absolutely, um, absolutely, and and we got to look at ways to start to quantify the qualitative stuff. Yes, yes, right. Like cust- customer experience or, or reviews. Great example. Sure. I, I hear all the time. How can I possibly quantify the ROI of reviews? Have Have you looked at the cost that you're putting in to try to generate your reviews right now? Hundred percent. Have you looked at the amount of reviews that are coming out? Have you measured the disposition? Of your reviews how many of them are happy how many of them are sad have you looked at the commonalities between why all the happy reviews are happy and why the upset reviews are upset because what a lot of dealers find is they could actually very easily measure something like a cost per review sure they could also dive in to look at some different algorithmic models that exist for what the cost of bad online reputation is Yep. You know, so so uh, we're not going to measure all these different things with the same measuring stick. You got to have a different measuring stick for every aspect of the deal- digital dealership you're trying to. As long as that measuring stick always leads back to what the consumer is. Oh, absolutely. Right, and, and, th- and I think that's where it is. the The cool thing is that when we take that approach with our operations, and then like what we were talking about earlier, how we want marketing and operations to start working with each other, yeah. the goal you actually start to create a story in your operations, right? The story is not necessarily the story of price or profit or or discounts or, or whatever it is, right? There actually is a human element story to it, right? Doing it for the customer has a human a human element story that now the, if the marketing team is aware of what's going on, they should be able to go to town on this. Oh, See, I always feel bad for the marketing team because it's like they, they get a singular story to work off of and that's $69 a week by weekly or... Mm-hmm. You know, two fifty nine a month, or you know, zero point nine nine percent. That that seems to be the story. Yet, 
from an operations perspective, there's a lot of really, really good stories going on at the dealerships level that never gets communicated out. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the problem that we were talking about at the start of the day. It was all these disparate little islands happening, right? We see sales as doing their job and we see marketing as doing their job. That creates two problems. Number one, it, it gives marketing this operational seat in the business, but it's never strategic. We're not asking marketing, hey, what, what value should you be bringing to the table? Mm-hmm. We're just telling the marketer, hey, you buy my advertisements, right? Go get me traffic. Go get me leads. Well, that's also got to change too, right? Oh, it's, it's, I mean, the fact that they, think they see the ROI of the marketing department as just generating leads that's not the case at all, yeah. right? I mean, we're, we're generating engagement. Yeah. Well, then we have to tell a story to define, to de- develop out what that engagement is going to be. Exactly, and and that's and that's what leads into that big second problem, which is the sales versus marketing fight. Yes, marketing goes and and Literally gets a like ton a of leads. Oh, like, it's, like, it's like it's it's like a boxing match for some reason. I mean, I've been in a lot of these meetings. I'm sure you have too. And it's just <laughs> yeah. like it's like one of them, like one sitting on one side of the table, the other one sitting on the other side of the table, and it's like. If the table wasn't split between them, then they'd probably be at each other's throats. Absolutely, you know? but but it starts from having two different different definitions of success. Yeah, right, and that's where sales and marketing needs to align. Sales needs to be echoing the marketing messages. Marketing needs to yes. be providing content that is supporting what the sales rep says. Because in 2019, the number one subconscious objection that a sales professional gets is, "You'll tell me anything. You're trying to get my money." course so we need to give that social proof that thing that the customer can touch and feel and hold to say look this isn't just knowledge from our sales rep this is this is true knowledge and our sales rep is educating you on it you know yes and and that you know I really feel like uh, if we start to get those two departments aligned you're gonna start to hear a lot less beautiful things happen so that's what I want to do let's talk about that real quick then all right Um, honestly I'm thinking like I might know Maybe, unfortunately enough, to count on one hand, how many have actually effectively done this? Maybe two, but probably not. Unfortunately, um, you've probably seen some that have been able to execute this. What happens when marketing and operations really do intersect with each other and work side by side with each other? What does that look like? Oh, okay. the the I mean, the ROI is astronomical. First and foremost. Okay, so let's talk about like what what can the ROI be when these two departments? Like, what kind of ROI are we talking from the dealer? Like, from a dealer person. Uh, principal's perspective 20 times 30 times ROI like wow. it is absurd the return on investment and in terms of the payback period like this stuff happens instantly yeah like, it doesn't happen overnight like it, it's just literally it, it literally happens overnight uh, yeah like when, once it clicks because every everything is a is an interconnected chain right yeah so one of the big things I'm sure you see this all the time we got dealers doing first click and last click attribution right oh god there's another buzzword I could literally just dig a hole and shove it in there and then bury it and and every <laughs> single dealer that's doing that right now knows exactly how silly it would be if we just stopped counting assists in hockey but for some reason, that that's how we measure our leads at the dealership, you yep, know? exactly. Um, so any, anyway, that, that, that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah, I like that analogy. Yeah. I'm not a big hockey fan, but that actually completely makes sense. I mean, I'm a baseball fan, so if you didn't count the amount of times just on base, yeah. all right, then the the actual runs wouldn't mean anything, right? Exactly. So, yeah. Someone yeah, got that to sense. your Someone contact us form <laughs> yeah, exactly. by taking a path. You can't just say the path didn't matter. Yeah, you know, in baseball, you got to the home plate because you had to go through a couple other steps. Yeah, um, exactly. No, that's cool. No, I, I agree with you. I think the ROI for the dealership to spend the time to make sure these two departments 
are totally in sync with each other. It is just absolutely astronomical. Uh, it gives us it gives us the marketing department the opportunity to tell the story of how the operations is just done differently or just that much better at the dealership, especially here in Ontario and specifically in the GTA. Yeah. I think there's like 33 Nissan dealerships in a 45 minute drive of each other here. Yeah. You know, and for our listeners in the U.S., let me repeat that one more time. It's 33 Nissan dealerships and a 45-minute drive. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's crazy, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I have a lot of opportunities to purchase a Nissan Rogue mm-hmm. at relatively the exact same price no matter where I go. I mean, it, it's going to be the same product. It's going to be the same price, you know, from the marketing team's perspective. I mean, what do they got to work with? If we don't give them anything else than just the story of price, then... Yeah. Well, one, I think the big, uh, a big paradigm shift that needs to happen with dealerships is they need to understand the world that we're competing in now Mm -hmm. because it's really opened up 10 years ago. We used to be competing dealership to dealership. Mm -hmm. This Nissan dealership was getting compared to that Nissan dealership. But now what's happening is, and and we all know the stat 1.3 dealerships is, is how many get visited by the average car buyer. Now it used to be four to five, right? Yep. All that means is that for every three car buyers in Canada, the first two walk in and buy, and the third person walks into the first dealership, gets pissed off. And walks into the other one. Exactly. And so that creates this environment where we're, our, as a dealership, we're not getting compared to the dealer down the road. We're getting compared to what was the online experience like in my dealership compared to the last time that customer bought something on Amazon. Yes. Where are the reviews? Where are we solving their uncertainty? Where can they talk to other people? You know? I agree. From an experience perspective, that's exactly what's happening. And, and it's the same thing with video and how people are digesting content. They're not comparing you and walking your quote physically over to another dealership. They're literally going, how did these videos move me along my purchase process and solve my uncertainty? I agree with you. And that's also what operations need to see, right? Marketing needs to see operations as just an endless amount of content and stories that can be told. Yep. Right? Operations need to see marketing as just the initial step of the actual sales process, right? And how they move that individual. Look, the cool thing is, you know, operations need to look at marketing and say, marketing, you have that customer yep. for 60 days or whatever it is, 60, 90 days, depending on your age demographic where you're at, whatever it is, right? Yep. That's how much time we're spending online doing shopping and research. So marketing, right, you need to have this process, right? We need to have this this direction where we want them to go. So, and then I want to be able to pick it up at the dealership. The amount of time that we're connecting with them at the dealership versus the hours and hours of time that we're connecting with them at home mm-hmm. is not even close in comparison, yeah. right? But operations doesn't necessarily necessarily need to see it. It needs to see it as just an extension of what happens online. I, I was going gonna to say the, the, the big problem that's happening in the entire stream of events that you've described there is the perception that marketing deals with it a certain time and then mm-hmm. hands it off to someone. That's those disparate <sighs> islands we're talking about, okay? Yeah. Whereas how it needs to look is more like a sandwich and you got the sales bread on top and you got marketing down below. Both sales and marketing should have their own tactics for moving that customer from attention to interest to engagement and yep. decision. And it doesn't matter whether it's sales or marketing. They should be the same messages at the same different stages for, 100%. for those customers. 100%. And then we just literally pick that right up when yeah. coming to the dealership. And even more so, after the sell, the marketing company, the marketing department needs to re-pick that up Absolutely. and maintain that relationship over the next five to six months. And if that's through BDC or email communications or text message marketing or... Um, 
just retargeting efforts in general, right? Like that just needs to consistently happen. Oh, you nailed it because I mean, when you look at the buying cycle of people planning to purchase cars right now, the, the amount of leads being generated that are intending to purchase in 21 to 90 days yep. that are then thrown out the window by dealers that called them for 14 days and then just tossed them into the black hole. Yeah. It's like, if you were baking a cake that called for the recipe to be at 450 for 30 minutes, you probably wouldn't assume you could just turn the oven up to 900 and expect it to be done in 15 minutes. Yeah. But that's what we're doing with our with our sales process nowadays. Yeah, 100%. We just got to trust that process. No, I agree with you. And we kind of talked a little bit about this before off camera, right? You know, I had a dealership the other day. We were talking about their 2019 strategy. And yeah. one of the sales managers looked me straight in the face and said, Jason, I just need more leads and I'll sell more cars. And of course, you know where my response was going. <laughs> you just need to deal with the leads you got. Um, yeah. You know, it, but, but you're right. I mean, I don't know where we got off thinking that a form fill, literally just someone asking a question, all right, is actually a lead. Yeah, because we haven't qualified them yet. We don't know if they're a lead. Yeah, we don't know if they're. If I mean, they, they may be just doing some research, yeah. or they may be shopping. They're not. They're not at the bottom of their funnel. They could be quite considerably at the top of their funnel, right? Yeah. Which then we just need to have a conversation with them until we can actually get them to the point where we can call the lead. At least well, that's what I. Thought. I, I and I was going to say, I completely agree. I don't think the problem is picking up the phone and calling them. The no. problem is picking up the phone and trying to sell them a assuming car. Assuming that they, assuming that they're elite. Exactly. Assuming, assuming that they're ready to buy something, exactly. and that they don't just simply want to have a conversation. Yep. And and you know we any clients of ours that we do very deep training with, uh, one of the big no nos is talking about buying that car without talking about the action that the customer took online. Because the action they took online is way more important than what you're trying to get that customer to do. For sure. The easiest way to remember this, if you ask someone out on a date, and you, literally, you're just ordering appetizers on the first date, and you sit down, good chat, cool. So what, you know, what kind of wedding cake would you like? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a nice conversation? Yeah, right. Literally, like, what it is, we we were bypassing the entire courtship. Let's exactly. just screw the entire dating. Let's just get to the marriage. <laughs> yeah, and the, and then we get these sales managers that are That's surprised. And they blame the leads, right? <laughs> they use that. <laughs> yeah, so I please do, please do. But I mean, honestly, we just get into this pattern where it's easier to blame the lead than it is to take ownership over. You know what? I need to update how we're approaching leads because the challenge is they ain't going to get easier. We just yes. need to get better. No, no, no. And you know the funny thing? And I see the exact same challenge, not only in the operations of it, but also in the marketing of it. The fact that we're spending, I mean, just obscene amount of money advertising an ad that's like 2019 RAV4, $69 <laughs> bi-weekly. Again, we're just assuming that that's the message that they want to receive. We don't build any type of rapport in any of our marketing strategies. Yeah. You know, that's one opportunity that we've been able to differentiate ourselves from the other, from our, our competition is that I don't even put price in our ads until we're probably about nine or 10 different ad pieces into it. Now, now we're a little weird, right? We don't run one ad piece, right? Yeah. Uh, we run on average between about 11 to 14 different ad pieces, yeah. all targeted over a 60, 90 day, and they're all designed to incrementally move your way down, the, down to each ad piece moving on. Yeah, right? but that, that's because you guys know what you're doing. You've you've mapped out the customer journey and you know that in stage one, we need to treat them like stage one. In yeah, stage it's an three, awareness. I just need to create awareness. That's exa it. That's exactly. Right. Price literally doesn't matter. If it I doesn't, called oh, you, not at all. Not we, one bit. we've never met each other, yeah. right? The first thing you're wondering is, who the heck are you? Yeah. Then you're wondering, where are you from? And then you're wondering things like, are you wasting my time? Can I trust you? Stuff like that. Nowhere in the first things you're wondering is how much does what you do cost? Yeah. 
And if you asked me that, I'd call you out on trying to set a trap for me. Because yeah. what are we talking about cost so early for? We're talking about value here. If I gave, it doesn't matter what the price is. If I give you something that's worth ten bucks, then five bucks is super cheap. If I give you something that's worth forty thousand dollars, then twenty thousand dollars is super cheap. Yeah. You know, and and I think that it doesn't matter whether we're we're on the vendor side or we're on the dealer side. The biggest thing that you know we really need to understand how to do is quantify that value for the customer and connect it back to the reason that the customer said they took the first step in the dealership. Not why, what do you want them to do at the end of their time in the dealership? Yeah, it's just like we, it's like I said earlier, we, we just, we don't want to court people anymore. We don't want to court, we don't want to date, we just want to get straight to the point of marriage. And it's no surprise that we do that in our operations and then turn around and do the exact same thing in our marketing efforts. And it's also no surprise why the number one subconscious objection that sales professionals are dealing with is, oh, you'll say anything to get my money. Of course customers That's feel literally like that. the message that they've been approached. Exactly. Right? They've just been hit. $69 by weekly, 0%, 0% financing, and low lease rates, and huge cash discounts. Yeah. You know, it, it's... And, and I, I promise, anyone listening to this, if you're in sales, just try this. I'm not concerned about whether or not you buy a car. I just want to help you make a good decision. Do you mind if I ask? And then insert a question that you probably already know the answer to from yep. the last 10 people that you helped. Get a conversation going. Stop trying to pitch people and just have a casual conversation with them like they're your best friend two years younger than you. Because politeness is not persuasive. Value is persuasive. But see, then again, this is where I see the disconnect between operations marketing. Though. Yeah. Because I know, actually I know a lot of salespeople that are very, very good at doing exactly what you communicated. Mm -hmm. But every message up to the point, that every message that the consumer has consumed up to the point of getting to the dealership is not that message. Agreed. All right. That message is just, buy now, buy now, buy now. We'll do anything. The yeah. lowest price. Um, no one beats a deal from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, well, it's, it, yeah. it's order taking. We got, we it's not connect. selling. Like, we got to connect. We, we have to, it, operations and marketing need to be completely in line with each other. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's no surprise to me. Um, I was at a Chrysler dealership just recently. And, of course, I had the, the one, you know, the one older gentleman, the one older sales manager. In oh, fact, yeah. actually, he caught me off guard. He actually did really good. And he goes, well, I, don't, I don't know if I believe in all this. Internet hubala. Hubala. That's a badass word. I'm gonna have to use that. That's a new one for me. Hubala. Right. <laughs> All right. And because his complaint was is that every single lead that comes in is just all their concerns about just the best price, best price, best price. All right, fair enough. I'll go down this rabbit hill. Yeah. A rabbit rabbit hole. Yeah. It's not my first rodeo. I've done this before. Yeah. All right. So let's just take a look at all the marketing messages that you've been putting out there, right? Because yep. operations complaining about how the consumer only cares about price. So let's take a look at what those marketing messages are, <laughs> yeah. all right? And sure enough, no freaking surprise, yep. every single message shared in newspaper, print, radio, they don't even do TV, TV, all I had to do about the one thing, price. Yep. You know, so like, how can they expect? Again, it's just it's the at the core of operations marketing yeah. being totally disconnected to each other. Oh, absolutely, and I, and I consider it tricking themselves. You know, like it's it, it's a feedback loop. We're setting the standard that price is what matters, and yeah. then when the customer comes in and said, 
I'm going to shop you on price. We act all surprised. Whoa, 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 pissed whoa, off. We, we complain about car buyers today. <laughs> we're making car buyers that we're, way. Our messages are creating that. Yes. I mean, it's like, I don't understand why this is a shocking thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, I, I was at a, again, it's a very similar thing. I was at a BDC working with a new business development rep and, you know, and he wanted, Zach sent a complaint, you know, all they wanted was price. They just want no price. It's just about the best price. It's all about the price. Well, it's just, well, okay, well, every single message out there we have is about price. We don't change it message and how can they expect anything different yeah well and then, you know another thing that we just need to be able to do is differentiate right everyone's got the same the same price a dollar is a dollar is a dollar well we all got the same tools yeah right so i got the same tools how we utilize those tools and how we tell the message of those tools can be entirely different from dealership to dealership couldn't, couldn't agree more which actually is a great lead way into our next topic uh, which was a uh, came off of a fun video I shot. I don't even remember how long ago I shot it. it was last year, I think, at some point in time, was um, you can't buy your way out of bad processes or oh. bad operations. Sorry, you can't buy your way out of bad operations. Love this topic. I do too. You know, because there's so many people out there, and I think this is really for the dealer principals listening right now. Yeah. Um, guys, it just doesn't work. Yep. Right. Tools are only as good as how well someone utilizes them. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. And, and I mean, honestly, for, from the vendor side of thing, mm-hmm. getting that initial sale, that's the easy part. Yeah. Changing the behavior at the dealership level, that's the tough part. Yes. And it needs consensus. We can't just have an owner wanting to do it to make more money. And what happens then is the sales manager and the marketing manager go, whoa, I haven't bought into this. What about all these objections, you know? So we really have to build that consensus and show, honestly, just, just the same way that we're doing with cars. Uh, customer comes into the dealership, that car can solve 10 problems for people. And if you're telling them about all 10 problems, you're doing it wrong. You got to understand the need and play the one card aligned to their problem. Make it audience specific. Exactly. And it's the exact same thing that we're going through in the, you know, vendor, vendor dealer life where they, they probably bought for one or two specific reasons. And we really need to make sure that we get down on one knee, understand their current process and show them the win from simply updating their process. Not taking them in a different direction they don't want to go in. Sure. This, this is, you're already facing that direction. All we want to do is accelerate your speed or shorten the journey, one of the two. That's it. You know, and so uh, honestly, it's just like getting your kids to eat the vegetables, you know. It, it honestly is a little bit of work going into it. Of course. But once people start to see the benefits from it, you always get the dealers that come back, hey, thank you so much for, you know, giving me a little bit of that professional persistence there. I'm really, really glad we pushed through and did the training because, you know, so-and-so is doing an appointment a day now. Yeah. Meanwhile, 60 days ago, they're complaining about how bad the leads were. And, you know, clearly we need to just buy that next new tool and that'll solve all our problems, you know, for buying out of the bad operations. Well, they're assuming that that tool, and, and all tools do come with a series of processes, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but they're assuming that that tool or that process is going to just fix whatever operational issue that they have. The, the reason they had that operational issue in the first place is because there was no goal and objective yeah. set out to actually fix the issue, right? They never defined what the end result was going to be. They just continued to buy additional tools and additional products and different services, hoping and praying that one of these things are going to, uh, are going to work for them, right? Yeah. Um, the principles, guys, you guys really got to take the time out there to define what your ultimate goal and objective is and then identify the tool that brings a series of processes that are going to help you guys meet that goal. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the one of the most overlooked facets of just all the dealership operations in, in general is vendor management. 
It's oh, just, yeah. just as important as people management. We get 100%. these entire rooms of people. Oh, you called me? You must be wasting my time. You must be selling me the same. You know, like it doesn't matter. Meanwhile, this this entire dealership of people is standing fighting a battle in a field with swords. <laughs> and we got a sales rep with a machine gun standing at the front door getting told, no, 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 I don't have time for a pesky sales rep. Take the time to listen. Take the time yes. to really understand how these products align with what your core strategies and objectives are. What those goal objectives are. Yeah. But first off, Dan, they got to find You got to have them. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say it, yeah. you know, and, and, and I, I, I love my clients and yeah. I have some phenomenal ones. I'm always amazed how I'll work with the sales manager and they clearly don't even know what their goal and objective is. And then by the time I get down to the salesperson's level, Hell, they don't even know what their goal objective is. I mean, taking one foot farther, I talked to some receptionists. Receptionists don't even know what their goal objective is. I mean, every single individual, every single level, no matter what they're doing, all the way from the janitor to the dealer principal, we all have a series of goals and objectives on. If we don't define them, and I mean really define them, I mean we don't say them, guys, you actually have to write them out. Yeah. Because don't, goals don't exist unless we write them, right? Yeah, exactly. Eyes on the prize, baby. Yeah, so it, you got to literally write out what those are, and then you can start doing your shopping. And, and then you're a little more open-eared about it, right? So, okay, so, and I also think it's a much quicker way, too. You know, I had a dealership call, uh, <laughs> the whole group wanted to sign up with a, a new CRM, right? Mm -hmm. uh, dealer Socket, uh, which I, I'm, I'm a fan of. I think it's a great, it's a great product, right? Yeah. But it's a very, very deep, thick advanced product. I mean, there's a lot of rabbit holes that you can go down in this in this product, which I love because I love numbers, right? Yep. All right. Um, but again, they didn't know what their goal and objective was in setting it up, right? So I actually, I decided to challenge them. I said, look guys, uh, after the presentation, I said, I think it's wonderful. I think it's amazing, all right? Um, but I got something for you guys, all right? That won't cost you a penny. If you commit to this and develop the process, then I think it's worth spending the tens of thousands of dollars over multiple locations to go into this, right? Mm -hmm. I give them a, a blank pad, a paper, and a pencil. And said, so there's your CRM for the next 60 days. Commit to that. Prove that you guys can, that you define what the goal and objective is and that, you, you know, what process is going to be. Then go spend the exuberant amount of money on that product. Because that, oh, then and only then are you actually going to be able to utilize what the system actually has. And, and honestly, none of, none of this advice is rocket science. No, I, it, it really is. If right? we're making pizzas, it would make a lot of sense to figure out the recipe before we put the secret <laughs> sauce on 20 pizzas, right? So it's it, it's not uh, it's not a problem to have a plan. We need to really look internally and challenge ourselves that hey, sell more than we did last year is not a plan. It's not an objective. No. We need to get granular <laughs> about this. You know, man, I've been some of those. I just want to sell more cars. Well, okay, let's get a little deeper. Let's yeah. get a little deeper. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, hey, I think that's great, um, especially on the topic of you can't buy your way out of uh, bad operations. Um, I hope dealer principles that, that that really kind of assists you guys and you got some value from that. I want to round it off with our last topic, and our last topic is just vendor life. <laughs> vendor so life. Thug life. Vendor life. I'm gonna have them throw some graphics in like right about now. Um, <laughs> gangster. <laughs> gangster. Right. I, look, I, I unfortunately I think uh, as vendors that we are viewed a lot of times as just being robots. Oh yeah. And we're not. You know, we're just out there. For uh, for the dealership's almighty dollar, and, and yeah. 
I don't agree. I, I don't necessarily disagree. I think there are some that are out there and then some that are that are legitimately there to want to assist in developing yep. out what your goals and objectives are and helping you guys meet those. Yep. How can dealers right, kind of qualify? You know, and this is great because this could work for both vendors and sales trainers and programs and everything. What should a dealer look look for to qualify to themselves if that person's actually in it for them and their benefit versus just their own benefit? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, you, you got to look at a lot of actions as opposed to a lot of words. It's very easy yeah. for sales reps to make every good claim underneath the sun, right? But, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, you still have to sign a contract. By the way, you still have to, right? So, so you always want to look for those, uh, what I would call a confidence indicator. Okay, like that. You don't have to sign up for a contract. You don't got to commit anything. Our product's either going to work or we're going to fix it. That's a confidence indicator. So is this something that you guys actually do yourselves as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, it's something that we do, and I just kind of find that I, 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 didn't, I don't think I ever even told you that, but I just I thought it was kind of funny that that was what you brought up, and it, we both consistently do it ourselves. Yeah, we, we literally I, have not talked about that before. I, I, I think have no contracts. I have no commitments. Yeah. Um, I look at it as a courtship. Yep. We're going to try each other out for a little bit, yep. and I got my part to do, you got your part to do, and yep. if we continue to work, then we'll continue to date, otherwise we're done. Yep, maybe it's just a Canadian thing, but I it's think, not, you know, being is. really proud of being easy to do business with, I think is really important, you know, we don't want to... It's mani- not proud, yeah. yeah, it's confident, that's what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it is, is, is that, yeah. you know, I, I think uh, a lot of times... L- People look at the Canadians and they see that they're just, you know, that's what it is. But in, in reality, it's not. We're just incredibly confident yeah. that, you know, that we're going to put in the effort and we're going to hustle harder than the other vendors to make this happen, that we don't need you to sign a 12-month agreement. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, the, the amount of tactics being used out there to get people to sign into these vendor relationships is ridiculous. Talking about digital retail is... Oh, you know, re- reviews is a long-term game, so you got to sign a two-year contract. Well, yeah, reviews is a long-term game. Sure, it's a commitment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's true. That doesn't mean you need to sign a contract. <laughs> yeah. Those are two totally separate things. You know, we're not politicians here trying to make two unrelated statements and have people assume that they're related, but that's unfortunately a lot of the tactics that dealers become victim to, yeah. right? So, so you really want to challenge companies on what's the product roadmap? Every, every okay. dealer has, has seen and heard and felt this before, that flavor of the month club where the second you get a tool or a toy, if you're not creating scorecards on how to measure it, then um, three months later you get the call from the next ref who's got the next best thing, right? Yep. So, so actually be challenging these uh, vendors or partners on what's the difference between what is an actual product right now and what is just an idea that you're promising me? That That's really important. Yep. Those confidence indicators we talk about. So actually assessing your risk. Uh, call your peers, honestly. There, there's some parts of the game that don't oh, change. Oh, no, I agree with that. I, I really do. You know? Yeah. I, in fact, actually, we do very little marketing. We do a lot of branding. We don't do a lot of marketing, which is funny. Um, but... Yeah, but we live off of referrals. I mean, you know, we have clients that have been with us for a very, very long time. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're, they're loyal because we have those roadmaps. Where before they're thinking about it, we're on it looking at what that next sandbox is going to be for them, yeah. you know? And you're, you guys operate in that exact same level. So I like that. So confidence, 
that they actually have a roadmap or direction or you know an, an evolution to their service or their products or their service or their products and you know where they're going to be from now or 24 months from now I think that's awesome yeah anything else you think you'd want to add to that? Uh, absolutely I, th I think the biggest thing that is that people need to especially at the dealership level where they're feeling uh, I bet we got a lot of dealer principals thinking I need to reduce my costs. I'm getting 500 to death by all these vendors out here. Blah blah blah. We've all heard it before. Look for partners instead of transactional vendors. Look for people that aren't going to nickel and dime you on setup fee here, training here. Blah blah blah. That's that's what transactional vendors do. You know, you, we we really got to look for those partners that are willing to dig in and figure out how can I make this tool meet your process. Yep. Not just, you know, can, can I get your money for this kind of sure. thing. So yeah, I mean, that, that's probably the big thing to round out the, the holy trinity of vendor management there. No, I, I think that totally makes sense. Again, the combination of those things is what really brings value, you know, at the overall value to doing business with that specific vendor. Yeah, awesome. Absolutely. I think the value is great. Um, you know, I think this is actually a great place to kind of wrap this up. I, I think we, we, we kind of crushed it. I, I love talking about how um, the marketing department and the operations department really need to sync with each other and yep. what that ROI looked like. That, that was great. Uh, we talked about tools and how they're only as good as how someone uses them. And you can't buy your way out of bad operations. It's You need to take the time, develop out those goals and objectives so that you can write out the processes to help you meet those goals and objectives. Yeah. And then finally, I think those are three amazing tips to really identify on all the different vendor opportunities out there. You know, who, you know, we look at it, the cream always rises to the top, right? And it's it's going to be real obvious, I think, if you use those three to try to sift out, you know, the, the right vendors for you should for you to be working with. Absolutely, I mean, like, like I said, my passion before I ever got here was helping sales reps to improve their lives. And I can tell you as someone who's interviewed probably over a million sales reps, the average will talk about themselves being good. The, yeah. the elite, they don't have to talk about themselves being good because other people talk about them being good. 100%. If you only got sales reps talking about that company being good, that should be an indicator, you know, so. Uh, you know what, actions speak way, way louder than words. Exactly. Um, awesome. Hey, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, hanging out with me tonight and taking the drive all the way out from London. I really, really appreciate that. How can people connect with you? Uh, let's let, Shameless plugs time. Go ahead. Put it out there. All right. Here you hey, go. A couple minutes. Let's go. Shameless hey, I'll, I'll always feel free to reach out on, on LinkedIn. I'm, a, I'm you know, really focused on helping dealers transform into digital dealerships right now. So if you couldn't get a hold of me digitally, I'd be worried. So feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. Feel free to check us out online, mobiles.com or autoverify.com. Uh, feel free to uh, just give me a shout, you know, ne never be shy. Uh, honestly, one of the big, big things that I believe is service is the highest form of sales. So, you know, if you don't have people that are willing to literally do the work before asking for a penny, again, that should be a big confidence indicator red flag that you know, maybe this person's trying to get a deal as opposed to build a relationship. That's awesome. Uh, that's a great way to round it up. Hey, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time. It's my really pleasure. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Jason.